The battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome back to the Lead Pursuit Podcast. Tonight, we're going to roll the clock back a couple of years. And let me say it's an embarrassing couple of years because tonight we're going to talk about a pair of games that have been sitting on my desk or in my closet or bookcase of shame for over two years now. That's right. Back in November 2020, we talked about 8th Air Force and 20th Air Force from Fortress Games. And I still have them sitting here in plastic bags unpunched in front of me. But that's all right. You know, I'm not the worst gamer when it comes to these things. At least I have looked at the rules, unlike our very own Steve Toth, who has not even familiarized himself with these games in the two years. Steve, how are you doing tonight? Yeah, I honestly don't even know what a what a bomb group is. So I mean, yeah. you're way ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> we proved that in the previous interviews. Bomb groups, what are those? You actually organize your bombers? Uh, but that's fine. Steve and I will be here tonight. We're going to go back over with Bob Fanna from Fortress Games, the second edition for 8th Air Force and 20th Air Force that has just hit Kickstarter. Bob, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Uh, good, to, good to talk to you again and good to talk to you, Steve. It's good to have you on the podcast. I, I feel guilty, uh, like we talked about uh, it, you know, prior to the intro. I still haven't broken the games out. I've carried them on trips. I've honestly tried to get them on the table, and I just haven't. And and then to top it off, I've been that standard Kickstarter supporter. I picked up your Vietnam and your Afghanistan pair of games, and neither of those two have been played either. Uh, so so I, I probably have not a leg to stand on to interview you to talk about these games because uh, I haven't played the first edition. But we're going to go for it anyway, and we're, we're going to talk about uh, some of the changes and some of the things uh, that you all have done differently in this edition. But let's, I know I know the spirit is willing, but sometimes the flesh is weak. <laughs> that, is, that is so true, and it's. Uh, it, I feel bad about some of the games that I've I've picked up because I look at my my you know closet or you know shelves of shame as I should call them now, and there's some things that have had repeat plays in the time that other ones haven't made it on onto the table. So uh, I have not done a good job of prioritizing my my spread around all the games that I've picked up. Um, but that's as me and a couple gamers were talking this weekend. Uh, that's that's one of the good problems is there's too many games and not enough time. Uh, we actually had delved back into the dark ages for anyone who is a uh, miniatures science fiction miniatures gamer and remembers the game Full Thrust, which was a spaceship combat game from back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, and, and that's when I owned the rules since the late eighties and had never played it. So it took me, you know, 30 plus years to get that one on the table. Uh, but that's all right. <laughs> well, I'll do better than that with eighth and eighth and 20th, uh, <laughs> but let's talk about the, the first Kickstarter. So November, uh, 2020, you went to Kickstarter. Um, you had about, uh, 80 some odd backers, uh, blew through your your goal you know pretty quickly anyway uh and ended up with i think about uh, $9700 i think somewhere around there um and and obviously went to press with that uh what was your experience that first kickstarter for uh, 8th and 20th 
Yeah, it was. A, thanks for asking. It was a it was a great experience, and you're right. We we uh, we had a very successful uh, Kickstarter campaign, and then um, and then actually a little embarrassingly, completely ran out of games. Maybe a month after the Kickstarter, because then we sold on Amazon. We sold out of everything we had. So <laughs> I hate it when a, that happens. Darn it! Yeah, we sold right. all of our stock. That's we terrible. Actually, we actually had nothing left, so we we we, we rushed to a second print. And fortunately, our, our print partner was was awesome. And uh, for about so for about a month. Month and a half, our shelves were empty, and then we—that's we, never happened again. We we stocked up well the second time around, and frankly, it gave us a chance to fix fix a few little. You know, that was our very first Kickstarter campaign ever, and uh, our very first right. games that we published ever. So, yeah. as you might imagine, we had a few a few little um, you know learning curve errors that the second print gave us a chance to fix. Well, good, and I laugh about a lot of that because it's like everything on the internet where you think. People knock it out of the park the first time. It's like uh, for us in the miniatures wargaming world, when people post a photo of their miniature, go, this is my first attempt at painting a miniature. You know, does anyone like it? And you're like, look, dude, you've been painting miniatures for like 15 years. It's obvious this is not your first miniature. (laughs) (laughs) We're not falling for this on the Internet. Um, But uh, everyone's going to have to learn and, and learn about, you know, producing things and proofreading and all those painful things that go into actually producing a game. Uh, but it, it at least seemed to me, once again, full disclosure, having not played this, that at least things were worked through and, and, and you had much, a much smoother game than a lot of people uh, sometimes kick out there for a first edition. And I, and I think that's an important kind of milestone for people to think about is it's still a first edition. I mean, I look over at my Dungeons and Dragons shelf at the second edition D&D that looks like it was drawn with crayons. Uh, I think <laughs> it actually was. Uh, and, and some of the rules are horribly broken. So you, we forget the things we used to you know, accept in first and second edition games. Uh, and everyone's kind of become a little bit of a perfectionist these days. Yeah, we did work. We worked very hard to get the rules right. And to your point, we never had to publish any errata. What we did have to do was um, put uh, put you know, uh, point out to, to, uh, to gamers, uh, parts of the rules that they were, they, they needed to study rather than skim over. Yeah. So we had <laughs> certain aspects that were, we kept getting questions and, and people were playing some parts wrong, not because the rules weren't there, but because we hadn't drawn sufficient attention. And so that was a lesson right. we learned. It's not just getting the rules right, which again, we did, we didn't have to do any errata, but it's also making sure people understand, Hey, this is a, this is critically important that you understand this part Otherwise, the rest of pieces don't fall together. So that, you know, that again, that's we expected to learn, learn some lessons. And we had a a good team that worked, you know, the playtesting hard and the rules hard. But you, you, there is nothing you can practice all you want. But when you go out on the on the field and you and you and you play a real game, you know, the things happen that you didn't expect. But we generally were happy with the result. Well, and people a lot of times forget the scale of playtesting versus the first week that a game you know, hits the market and is in people's hands that even if you had 10 people on your playtest team, they probably were not going to knock out the same number of games as your entire audience knocks out in that first month. Right. Uh, just, just orders a magnitude of what the games people buy, the times they play it. Uh, and I'll be honest, having participated in and still, still working on game design uh, with DVG games for Fulcrum leader and, and helping out with Eagle leader. Uh, it's, it's funny to see the things that, that you get through the playtest phase and people still make the mistake in the, in the main game. And you're like, I'm pretty sure it's in the rules. Are you people just not reading the rules? <laughs> Are you just picking <laughs> right. up the, the components and trying to play this game without reading the rules? But you know, everybody reads and skims through the rules differently and, and focuses on different things. So 
it's it's kind of a, an interesting exercise to see what people miss and what game uh, concepts you think you made perfectly obvious that it was a key component of the game, and then you know all your players just didn't read that part of the rules because it was the last section of the rule book. Well, one of the things we learned and we're doing in the second editions, we did to to some extent in Save Afghanistan Comrade and Save South Vietnam, but much more so in the second edition of 8th and 20th Air Force, is um, virtually every section of the rules will have an illustrated example. And, oh, nice. and differentiated in color and, and, and appearance enough that if you're comfortable with the rule – you immediately see this is a, uh, a an example. You skim right over it, go to the next rule. If you want to read the example, you can read it. But we're constructing it so it's easy to read the rule. Have an, always have an example there, typically, again, with an illustration, including counters or sections of the map. Um, because we, that was one of the big pieces of feedback we learned from our first edition is people love visual examples. They love yeah, – yeah, visual a, – a rule, even though it seems – Relatively easy to understand. It's a ton more easy to understand if you see three or four game pieces in front of you with arrows pointing at what you're supposed to do with them. Absolutely. And something I just saw reinforced this weekend was a lot of times games that can, that can be broken up into incremental parts uh, to offer a scenario or a playthrough or something that at least takes people through that first iteration of it. They go, okay, I've got the the basic rules down, then let me have a scenario that takes me through some optional rules, then maybe one that takes me through some more advanced rules. Uh, because, you know, nothing nothing will cause people to find all the holes in their knowledge, like actually sitting down and pushing the counters around and realizing they have no idea what that factor on the counter is for. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, cool. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about the the big changes. Uh, what what did you really find out um, in first edition didn't work? Was there anything that you said, oh, crap, when, I, when, when we change the rules, we've got to go in and we've got to fix this? Well, thank goodness. Actually, no. In fact, one of the reasons we were publishing the second editions is people love the game so much. The feedback we've gotten on the game, on the on the games themselves, the way the games um, operate and the way you play them and, and how victories achieved, et cetera, et cetera, frankly – 99% was positive feedback. People really did love the gameplay. What we consistently heard was, look, these components, the game board, the folio, et cetera, are not up to par with the quality of the game. In fact, um, there's a, a, a YouTuber uh, who does uh, World War II solitaire war games who, who ranked um, 20th Air Force, uh, the top five, one of the top five games he'd ever played in his reviews and, and eighth air force in the top 10 and and during his um announcement of where he where he found those games where he where he especially talking about 20th air force in his top five games of of all time he said he said now he was holding up one of our player aids he said now it'd be great if if the next step was these player aids actually met the quality in terms of production as the <laughs> as the games themselves yeah and so so we and we realized you know we again uh, we this is our first uh, first effort and and one of the things we learned is is we could do a lot better on the graphics on the components and on the on the uh game board artwork so we we went right back to the, we redid all of the artwork Yes. And we we settled for nothing but what we thought was very high quality artistic uh, presentation. Um, our original aircraft counters um, were silhouettes, uh, similar to if any anybody in the audience has played the the Avalon Hill game Luftwaffe, and I'm sure a lot of people have. The, the silhouettes were sort of like that, um, even more basic. This time, there's actual you know 
artwork of the airplanes themselves. Um, the map board was a very basic geographic outline of Japan or geographic outline of, of occupied of occupied Europe. Um, now there's there's topography and and uh, a lot more dimensionality to it. So we put a lot more more uh, uh, into the into the artwork of the game in order to draw in to make make for more immersion into the the game graphics and the game itself. And there, I think there, you know, hopefully we'll 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 we'll, we'll get feedback that we that we succeeded there. The feedback we've gotten so far from people who have looked at the Kickstarter. And what's available, what's been posted up on Board Game Geek has been very, very positive. But the especially exciting thing, Doug, to answer, make sure I'm answering your question clearly, is nobody said this game, or, or obviously people have suggestions about gameplay, but but there wasn't anything consistent of, of saying, boy, the game would be good if it had this, this, but it's really lacking that, so it's not. People said, boy, do we... We absolutely love this game. Um, hopefully, in the future, the, 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 the graphics, et cetera, come up to the level of the gameplay. That's awesome. And that's one of the funny things we've just gone through with Fulcrum is redoing all the card graphics because we finally got our graphic designer back. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a little frustrating in our case when you're post-Kickstarter, <laughs> you're redoing your graphics. But like, like you said, people really demand a high quality of graphics yep. these days, especially with a game that has good gameplay. It's, I think it's one thing if people play through a game like, yeah, wasn't that great, whatever. Um, but when they play through and they enjoy the game and then they look at the art compared to the other games they really they enjoy and they've played, they're like, well, I kind of wish it had a better you know, visual appeal to it, a little more um, tactile feel with, with heavier maps, heavier map boards uh, and, and stuff like that that becomes such a, an interesting component of gaming because I was just looking at, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember which company it was. It was a supplement for the Traveler role-playing game. I was looking at the counter art. And it was horrible because it was <laughs> these these just black and white sketches that I don't know where they got them of, of all the characters. And then the ship art was black outline. So it wasn't even like a, right. a silhouette with with line art to it. It was just a black silhouette. And that was the standard. And it's just so funny to see where we've come that if you, you know, put out stuff that even if the game has great gameplay, there are people that won't get over the hurdle of what do the counters look like, or what does the map board look like. Or, well, that's that's absolutely right. In fact, I'll, I'll I'll embarrass myself a little bit. One of the one of the um, feedbacks we got of our original Kickstarter, I think he was the the the, the, re, the person was looking at the twentieth Air Force, but it, it made me laugh and cringe at the same time. He said, "Looking at the cover of the twentieth Air Force folio reminds me of and picking up and reading my eighth grade history book." <laughs> I thought, oh my God, okay, we got fair some, enough. We got, yeah, we got some work to do, but I, I don't think anybody's going to say that about the the second editions. And actually, Doug, you you can you can draw your own conclusions. You've got the on your shelf of shame. You've yep. got um, Save South Vietnam, and you've got the Eighth Air Force and Twentieth Air Force. And yep. I, I challenge. Oh, there you go, the shelf you of go. shame, right there. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I, by the way, I think you'd really enjoy that game. I absolutely love. I, I need. I guess to. I, I, you always love your own games, but I love Save South. Oh Vietnam. yeah. Well, I just I've I've been so bad about it that it's it's one of those funny points um, that there's games you get super excited about, and then you get snowballed, and everything else comes up, and yeah. you're like, I'm just buried under this avalanche of of things to do, and I have learned recently, like with this last weekend, that now I'm just going to parcel out time to game. That if I let everything else drive my schedule, I will never get any gaming in. So it's my own personal hill to climb. <laughs> well, what you'll what you'll find if you uh, what, when you have a moment, pull out the um, game board of Eighth Air Force and pull out the game board of of Save South Vietnam and put them side by side, and you'll see what will be the difference between 
the original 8th Air Force and the second edition 8th Air Force and the second edition nice. 20th Air Force. That that quality change that you see from the original Kickstarter to what you see in Safe South Vietnam will be equivalent to what you'll see in the new edition of, of the two games. Well, good. Well, let's go over the original games, at least the original gameplay and the, the concept, uh, because there are some people who won't go that many episodes back <laughs> to listen to, <laughs> to our 2020 uh, talk about the game. But let's talk about the, the core construct of the games, because obviously they are geared towards the strategic bombing campaigns, either European or Pacific. Uh, and geared to a level that is somewhat generalized, but specific in being able to target certain nodes of the industry or of the the target country's uh, capabilities. So just tell us a little bit about the kind of the strategic structure of the game. Great. I'll give you a thumbnail thumbnail, uh, (laughs) description slash elevator pitch of both games. Exactly. Perfect. (laughs) So the eighth, uh, both games are, 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 are uh, group scale. So you're commanding groups and the, and the game system is commanding enemy groups. Eighth air force, you're, you're in command of the U S army air force from January, 1943 until May, 1945. And your job is to uh, conduct a strategic uh, bombing campaign of Germany while also supporting other priorities that Schaefer requires of you. So you, uh, at the beginning of the game, in addition to trying to knock out German industry, you're also being ordered to uh, attack Germany's submarine pens in the Western France to aid the Battle of the Atlantic and to knock out bridges and railroads in France and Germany to, to support the eventual D-Day landing. So you've got some, some distractions that you have to deal with, um, while at the same time you're, you're trying to um, destroy Germany's uh, aircraft industry, oil industry, and, and, and strategic war, war industries. And, and the game rewards you in different ways for, for hitting those targets. When you hit the German aircraft factories, it reduces their aircraft output. Their oil facilities make their, their aircraft less efficient. Uh, and, and the war industries give you victory points. The 20th Air Force, same concept. You're the U.S. The 20th Air Force, the USAAF, attacking uh, Japan from the Marianas with B-29 bombers. Um, big difference. It's there's no fighters in the game. Uh, your your B-29s are going up against the Japanese uh, uh, defenses, um, and you're hitting again the aircraft industry, oil and and um, infrastructure. But you're also hitting the housing. You're trying to destroy the, the. You're actually trying to destroy the cities to activate the minor cities, whose destruction gets you gets you victory. But your 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 this game involves the 20, 20th Air Force involves research. So you start out at doing high altitude precision bombing of say an aircraft factory. By the end of the war, you're doing low altitude area bombing with incendiaries of of targets large and small. Um, you're dropping atom bombs on targets. You're, you're, you're entirely destroying cities with incendiaries. So it takes on quite a different in, – in terms of the game you're playing at the end of 20th Air Force versus the beginning, that might be the most dramatic difference I've seen in any game I've either designed or played. You start yeah. out with a very small force with limited offensive capability, and you finish with an incredibly powerful Air Force that, that absolutely wreaks destruction in its path. Awesome. When you went through and had to obviously tweak the strategic picture between 8th and 20th, is there anything that then when you came back to the second edition, you said, okay, I, I just got to mess with it. I can't leave well enough alone. Any Anything that, that players are going to see in the second edition that they're going to feel is a, is a slight modification to that? 
You know, in terms of the um, the games themselves, actually, in terms of basic game, no. What I did do is I said these games are so full of these these campaigns are so full of other things that that realistically could have happened. So I put in a bunch of new optional rules that make make for and 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 I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of optional rules that go off on tangents that just weren't going to happen. <laughs> right. These are optional rules that either that that allow you to do something that did happen. Um, or something that really could have or even should have happened. For example, Eighth Air Force, and, and I, I, I honestly think people are going to absolutely love this. One of the optional rules, I, I bet everybody plays with the optional rule as opposed to a lot of times when I never play the optional rules. This one I, it would be hard to resist. But the one of the things that could have happened, and everybody I know everybody in this audience is, is an air power buff, so they know this, Germany could easily have deployed uh, jet fighter aircraft much earlier in the war than they did for a variety of reasons, including interference from from Berlin and Hitler. For a variety of reasons, they took a long time to get out, um, really not until 1945 in terms of being truly effective. Well, one of the optional rules I have is that those German jets get introduced earlier, uh, as early as April 1944. And in an interesting twist, the American response is to accelerate their own jet aircraft program. So you as the Americans start receiving jet aircraft. Uh, initially, not terribly effective aircraft, but very rapidly, they become technically effective. So you'll have uh, uh, Gloucester Meteors and, and F-80s shooting around the sky in, in dogfights with ME-262s. And, and we're even introducing the, the Hinkle 162 uh, into the regular game. That was one tweak to the regular game. We did not include the Hinkle 162, the Salamander, I think was the most common <laughs> term used for it. But it was a very, very good jet fighter. Right. And we didn't have it in the original game because it was fair, It was used in fairly limited quali- quantities. But we did – we are putting into the regular game um, uh, in, in, in the 8th for- Air Force, not even an optional rule. On the 20th Air Force, um, we introduced uh, option to have fighters – now, when we give a disclaimer, if, if you include the fighter option, yeah, the game is much easier. I mean, the <laughs> fighters will tear up the Japanese fighters as they as they as they right. did. The Seventh uh, uh, Air Command flew out of Iwo Jima with P fifty ones very effectively. And then we also, what I think is a really neat twist, is we uh, introduced the Eighth Air Force, which, as many people will know, was in the process of reequipping and de- and redeploying right. to Okinawa. Uh, they were reequipping with B twenty nines, and we're going to begin begin their own air campaign out of Okinawa and. So starting in September 1945, if the war hasn't ended, the 8th Air Force can start being introduced in an optional rule. So the uh, optional rules were the biggest change, and, and, and I think they're a heck of a lot of fun. That sounds good. That, that uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the Luftwaffe introducing jets and how those things have changed. And obviously, Brett, who's not on tonight, is a huge fan of late war uh, unique aircraft, whether jet or otherwise. I'm sure he'd be so disappointed there's not a DO-335 squadron represented in the game somewhere. <laughs> but uh, but the, the fact is there there's a lot of interesting what-ifs. I mean, we all knew that because of industrial capacity, the Germans are going to lose the war. But if you introduce jet air power earlier, you know, can they hold off? Can they you know pull another year or two out um, before they're just overwhelmed industrially uh, and, and that there's just there's no going back? Um, but yeah, what if stuff like that's always fun? I we were having a discussion about some of it involving history and war games this last weekend, and it, in a sense, it allows you to sometimes rewrite the uh, 
the the end conditions you know if you're if the germany lasts longer does that mean the russians actually seize more territory does that mean you know the allies uh the you know us and uk actually um uh, you know have more opportunity to liberate more of europe uh you know and how does all of that shake out so i think it always it always makes for kind of a fun um, a fun exercise. There. Absolutely. In fact, in 20th Air Force, um, you know, when you, if, if you lose the game, it's not because America lost the war. It's because you reached the end of the line and, and the United States had to launch Operation Olympic, which was the beginning of Operation Downfall, the invasion right. of, of Japan. And if and the, the game basically says if, if the U.S. has to launch Operation Olympic and troops have to invade Japan, you failed in your strategic bombing campaign. So it's right. not that America lost the war. But you lost as the commander of the 20th Air Force. Right. Well, that's a cool way to look at it. Well, let's let's shift a little bit. And we'd mentioned uh, save South Vietnam and comrade save Afghanistan uh, or save Afghanistan, comrade. Um, let's talk a little bit about those. How did you go from doing all this work for, you know, air power games to counterinsurgency games? What was the, the shift there? So the... Um uh, interestingly, the, 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 the Save Afghanistan and Save South Vietnam games were designed a long, long time ago. And, um, you know, at the time, we weren't thinking of becoming a game publisher. We played them for our own amusement, and we, and we loved them. Um, what happened, the only reason we became a game publisher is, is we, we, we created this 8th Air Force for our own amusement and, and determined this is, in our opinion, I, I, I don't mean to be unhumble here, but in our opinion, we said so this is way too good of a game to not publish. It's yeah. we got to figure out a way to get this out in the out in the market and and and, uh, and the twin game, Twentieth Air Force, uh, South Save South Vietnam, Save Afghanistan. We 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 loved them. We thought they were the, they were the most they were the purest um, uh, insurgency war games that we we'd ever seen. Um, the, the political power and the military power are differentiated. You can be do, doing great militarily, but doing horrifically politically, but it's not done in some artificial manner. It's all right. a very natural flow. And, and we loved it. We loved the games. And um, when we when we figured out how to publish war games, we said, well, these are the, the natural two to go out. Uh, we like this idea of twin game concepts anyway. Um, and these are these are, are natural to go out. Obviously different <laughs> different than than eighth and twentieth, but they uh, but they they work the same way. Solitaire games, um, and uh, uh, you've got you've got great challenges in 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 both games. In Save Afghanistan, comrade, it, it is almost a, a pure insurgency. Right. Save South Vietnam is a little different because you have a very powerful North Vietnam, which um, intercedes uh, in a very aggressive fashion with with massive divisions uh, all the way from 1965 till the end of the war in 75. So uh, different uh, uh, different. Um, uh, w- wars, so very different game experience, but they're both a, a, a lot of fun, and they and they allow you to to play the political side and the military side uh, simultaneously. Oh, good. Yeah, maybe I'll get those on the table here <laughs> one of these <laughs> days since I've failed horribly on that one as well. Well, if you know, right. Wayne, you've probably heard of Wayne Hansen, who loves to do reviews, and he's a, a very popular reviewer. And he he said, "Save South Vietnam is." the best solitaire Vietnam game that's out there. So take from, from him, I took that as a high, high praise. We're <laughs> high very praise proud of that. Yeah, exactly. No, I'll have to, have to go work through both of them because, you know, I, I've enjoyed um, a lot of counterinsurgency style games uh, in, in my time, but the problem is they either uh, minimize one or the other, either it's yep. from a perspective that the military power was going to win or from that it was all political power that's going to make it happen. And so it always kind of nerfs one nerfs the other. Uh, so I'll be interested to, to take that on and to try that. 
Yeah, you're 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 exactly right. There, I, I, it's tough to it's tough to find a good Vietnam using Vietnam because there's more games about Vietnam than Afghanistan, which is unfortunate because Afghanistan is a fascinating conflict to study. Oh, absolutely, a fascinating absolutely. conflict. But the um, but if you look at Vietnam games, they they tend to focus heavily on the military, and that is just an an, an incorrect approach. In Save South Vietnam, you can. You can chopper the first cav all around Vietnam and whip all hell out of the Viet Cong and North Vietnamese and and lose the war in 1973. Right. <laughs> you, you, Weird how you, that works out. <laughs> yeah, you can that can happen. But but if you uh, if you if you use your 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 South Vietnamese regiments wisely in pacification and and use your your American troops wisely in things like a, the Cambodia incursion and the counter counteroffensive after Tet and things like that, then you can you you can and will 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 win the game. But you've got to you've got to play the political side, the military side properly. Well I'm sure people want us to delve deeply into that and that probably sounds like another episode. Uh, because my question is a little more uh, cerebral. So in especially 20th Air Force, uh, where you have a lot of firebombing, use of atomic weapons, uh, and in two counterinsurgency games, when well, let's be honest, counterinsurgency is not um, precision sanitized warfare. Uh, <laughs> it's very personal and very dirty. Um, did you ever run up against things you said, okay, maybe I need to generalize this, or I don't, I don't necessarily want to model certain things in specific, or did you run across negative feedback where people said, hey, I get it, you made a game about it, but do we really have to have the option to take actions X, Y, and Z? You know, I I, um, I expected to get that, especially in 20th Air Force. 20th Air, the, the 20th Air Force Air Force's campaign against Japan was a it was a incredibly brutal campaign. As as again, I'm sure everyone in your audience knows the use of incendiaries. Um, uh, Operation Meeting House, the the March air assault fire assault on Tokyo, March 1945, was the deadliest uh, air raid of World War II, more yeah. deadly than the two atomic bombings at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And, and, and during the game, you're pursuing the, the ability to unlock those minor city targets that you then have to firebomb to win. Again, I created a game that was based on the actual strategy of the war. I, I'm not sure coding anything. Um, it was a very violent war. In fact, the top of the um, the top of the game board in 20th Air Force has a has Curtis LeMay's quote, which is something in effect of uh, um, ca- cause enough destruction and 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 pain to your enemy to make them quit quickly, and right. and that was his approach. His approach was to uh, attack Japan extremely violently. The game's a little shorter than 8th Air Force. You don't have as much time to to, to go through the attritional aspects of the 8th Air Force's campaign. Your your job is to devastate things very quickly and and um, and I, I portrayed it very realistically and I was prepared to def- to defend it but I think you know people in, who play games such as we do understand we're playing a war game by definition it's violent even if you're doing the Battle of Waterloo the the, the, the amount of of, of of soldiers killed at Waterloo is, was shocking when you look at the number of troops involved and, and war is by definition violent but war also has has uh, aspects of it that are, are uh, someone once described wars as the as the exclamation marks of history and I think it's very true and and you know you you, you ignore them or don't try to understand them at your own peril so you know I feel I feel 20th Air Force makes an important contribution in helping people understand just how aggressive and how violent 
U.S. Um, the U.S. approach was to to defeating Japan before U.S. troops had to invade the home islands, and uh, it's it's portrayed, I think, fairly realistically. Yeah, I, th- I think that is something that has been lost in a lot of the history, and, and I'll be honest, I feel it's a lot of the whitewashing that we've done of of World War II history that we kind of leave the atomic weapons use as as in a sense the the penultimate horrible thing, and no one ever really thinks about the. Uh, the actions of all the intentional firebombing of urban areas. It was not, you know, like trying to firebomb a weapons plant in the middle of Tokyo. It was literally firebombing Tokyo and taking advantage of our ability to burn the town to the ground. Um, and, and I think that's an important historical point to make because we have in some ways, I think tried to evolve our way of war, but at the end of the day, people forget that when it comes down to a nutritional kind of warfare, uh, a lot of times all bets are off and it's, it's something that you don't want to be a part of. You don't want to wage it. There's nothing glorious about doing that, but sometimes uh, the powers that be determine that's the best way to quickly wear down the enemy and expend the least number of, of your own nation's lives. Yeah, that's, that's, that's correct. In fact, in fact, probably the most negative I've received of any of the games that Fortress Games has published is, is um, a few a few negative responses regarding even por- even being willing to portray the Soviet Union in Afghanistan, get, uh, given the perception there as as a you know the evil empire and 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 right. and, and the atrocities that the Russians conducted. Obviously, atrocities aren't part of part of the game, but but the Russians were were pretty lousy in Afghanistan in the eighties and and. Uh, and and you know and there's there's certainly plenty of controversy around the U.S. involvement in Vietnam in the 1960s, but um but but the most pushback I've gotten on any of those games was was about you know it, it, some people don't like the idea of playing the of playing the part of the Russians in Afghanistan. <laughs> well, I guess they're probably not going to play a copy of Fulcrum Leader because we have two Afghanistan scenarios. In hey, there, well, so. we know a lot about uh, Russian atrocities at Lead Pursuit Podcast, right? Yeah, that's true. We've we've become unpopular for for saying bad things about the Russians and the Soviets over time. So, oh well, that's all right. Steve, you're, you're going to have to come up with a new color that will uh, be something for uh, for Afghanistan, uh, since we've already made fun of gulags and been counseled. I was for actually gulag gray. Was, my brain was going down the direction of 20th Air Force paint colors. I'm sure we could do something nice with that. <laughs> for the Pacific. That will be thoroughly offensive, I'm sure, when you come up with those. We will not release those at Adepticon. Uh, but but Steve brings up a good point. I mean, that it's it's interesting how people view the Soviet Union and the difference between World War II and Afghanistan. Both, in a sense, wars of occupation. People don't want to hear this. That guess what? There was a lot of Soviet occupation involved in the entire part of World War II. It wasn't just them defending against being beat up on as as poor innocent people by the Nazis. Um, that 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 level of atrocity is something inherent in Russian military doctrine. Um, and for whatever reason, people are willing to play the Russians in World War II, even knowing the horrible things they did as soon as they reconquered Poland, as soon as they reconquered uh, Eastern Europe. Um, but then it becomes horrible when you're in the 1980s in Afghanistan. But it's, it's, it's tragically how, how they view uh, subordinate popul- populations and, and occupied countries. Well, in fact, in fact, um, 
In fact, the Soviet Union in, in the war in Afghanistan, uh, people forget that they were overthrowing a communist uh, yeah. dictator there. <laughs> named, oh, in named a sense, overthrowing their own buddy, which is kind yeah. of interesting. Of course, I guess we did the same in Vietnam as, when you look at that too. But yeah, it's it's fascinating when you see why they invaded and you kind of start you know piecing that together. Right, right. Particularly diabolically, they, they told Amin that they were they were putting troops throughout the strategic points in the country to support him in his in his fight against a rising insurgency when the real point was to make sure they occupied the strategic points when they shot him right and uh and that's how that's how that 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 conflict began was the the, the country was occupied before before they even launched the coup yeah and th- there's an interesting part to that where you know, obviously, there's so much, as I'll call it, the Red Dawn mystique that we had in the 1980s on on how the Soviets were going to, you know, do this large uh, aerial assault, and and people were like, that'll never happen, and then they forget what actually happened in Afghanistan, where between the ground and air and commando forces, uh, pretty much, I mean, woke up one morning and the Russians were everywhere and assaulting the palace. Exactly. So it's uh, they. They, the Soviets proved they were masters of deception and that uh, if you were not you know, watching closely, they, they were able to amass forces and to, to redeploy quickly. But going back to you know, the, the differences with their war in Afghanistan versus uh, American uh, counterinsurgency in Vietnam, uh, they just never could capitalize on the mobility. They tried aerial mobility and even before uh, you know, the red eye and stinger missiles were introduced in, in Afghanistan. They just never were able to move large units around the battlefield the way um, that the U.S. did. And, and I, that, that's always one of those interesting things you look back at and you wonder, how did they not learn, you know, 20 years later from, you know, 15 years later from our mistakes uh, with Air Mobile? Um, but they, they really didn't. Yeah, you're exactly you're exactly right. In fact, the, the the games, the games you, you'll eventually get those games off your shelf of shame and play them, yeah, and you'll find you'll you'll find that that's that's reflected. If you play save uh, save Afghanistan, comrade, then play save South Vietnam. One of the things that will strike you is wow, the American forces are much more air mobile and much more uh, capable of concentrating military power quickly, um, and and frankly, standing up and fighting longer. The Soviet Soviet military in Afghanistan was not. The, a, a powerful force com- comparable to say the the U.S. military force in Vietnam in 1966. Call it well, and you probably know this from all, obviously all your research and making a game about it. But I was fascinated how artillery heavy they were, and and it was it was kind of their point of pride that they didn't feel like they had to be mobile because they viewed even a counterinsurgency as as a World War II firepower right. duel, and you had to sit there and go, but. Don't you need infantrymen to hold it? Don't you want to rapidly redeploy via helicopter? And, and all the things that we had thought about and how we'd built fire bases in, in our construct right. for uh, for fighting a counterinsurgency. And the Russians just – it was not that way at all. So, Yeah. Uh, an army that wasn't quite properly equipped for the war it was fighting. <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'll, I'll make the case not many armies are properly equipped, it seems. they, they seems like uh, you always figure that out after the fact. You're yeah, like, you no, figure it out we, later. We should we should listen to the guys that said, buy that system over there or buy fewer of something else. So right. that's, that's uh, much of the argument now with the Marine Corps as we're going through our force redesign. And, and being a retired Marine, I get to sit on the sidelines and listen to all the young guys tell us how we didn't know what we were doing in the last you know, a hundred and some odd years of our Marine Corps history. And <clears throat> then they want to redesign and change everything. So 
Good. Have fun. Enjoy enjoy fighting the Chinese with one regiment. <laughs> right, <laughs> we'll right, see how right. that works out for you. Regiment <laughs> with Patriot Patriot missiles and cruise missiles. Yeah, even if it's a smart out. regiment, you might need more than one. Yeah, exactly. That, that's a, that's been my point. Is I'm like, I'm glad you're redefining one regiment. That's not going to hold the Chinese very long. But right, so be it. Uh, anyway, so uh, to kind of continue and to to bring this back to the the uh, second edition of the games, have you thought about? another printing for your Afghanistan and Vietnam games, or are those uh, probably going to wait for, for a later date? Well, the, the, um, the, 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 the games, uh, the 20th Air Force and 8th Air Force are going into boxes, of course, and the, uh, and right. the, um, I forgot to bring that up. Yeah. They're going <laughs> getting into boxes. fancy on us. <laughs> yes. Yeah, getting fancy. These are uh, 11 and a quarter by eight and three quarter by one inch boxes. Um, so it'll be a regular bookshelf, Box again. I encourage everyone to go to uh, Board Game Geek. You can see the, the the exhibits that show you that how these how these things look. Or go to, of course, to the Kickstarter site. Even better. But um, uh, the only that, that that will be the only difference in the quality between the eighth um, and twentieth second editions and Save Afghanistan and and uh, Comrade and Save South Vietnam. Those Save Af- Save Afghanistan, Comrade and Save South Vietnam have very high quality um, uh, components, uh, high quality artwork. Um, and, and, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really be changing those, you know, there's always, there's always room to, to, to add more to the directions to make them clearer and clearer and things like that. But both those games have a lot of, uh, examples within them, especially, uh, save South Vietnam, lots of examples in there of how to, how to play. So no, there wouldn't be a lot. I, I can't imagine a, 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 a second edition comparable to what we're doing for, for eighth and 20th, you know, eighth, eighth and 20th, I, I, Part of it is almost almost guilt because we were just such a young company and we 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 published what we what we thought was a great product and the most happy outcome for me is that we we get feedback that we did build a great product but but awesome. the uh, but the feedback is always boy the graphics should be equal to the quality of the game and 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 that's where that's where the the fix really takes place is getting the graphic quality to to where it should be for games of 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 we think this quality. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I just still have to laugh because thinking about Mariner Games, the, the partnership that is kind of the overarching thing above uh, Lead Pursuit Podcast and my buddy Pat working through releasing Star Force Commander. And every once in a while, we keep saying, this is just the first edition. This is just the first edition. We want to change some things. Uh, right. because, because absolutely, you end up either with counter art that isn't as good as you'd like, or you just have to make a compromise somewhere. And I, I know between the counter art and, and some of the component quality, that's where we made compromises. We've kind of said, yeah, when this, when this goes to a boxed edition with a, a hard rule book and everything else, then, then we can fix those things. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, change you know, the cover it, art, you know, yeah, like and that. The, and there's a there, there's a learning process to everything, and now we 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 know how to how to how to compose the graphic art and how to how to how to do these things and and where to spend the time um, on 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 the components and on the artwork, et cetera. Um, so we you know we've become we've become better at that as we're a more mature company, and I I think it it'll show in the product. Well, and, and I'll ask a tough question. There is was there much mentorship from the rest of the board game community, or was it mostly your players and your fans that said, Hey, I know another artist or, Hey, I recommend you do this. Like this other company did. Um, did, did anyone kind of, kind of help you along close ranks with you or did, uh, as we so often find a lot of times in commercial ventures, the, the best help was from somebody's cousins, aunts, you know, <laughs> guy, guy that does graphic design for their you know hair salon or whatever. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got – we. Um, I'd say a little bit of all of that. I mean, most of the feedback we got in terms of, of things that, that we should concentrate on came from our loyal customers who said, you know, I love this game. Here's a typical feedback. I love this game regardless. But if you guys have another reprint, here's what I suggest. <laughs> this, this, and this. Right. And, and like I said, Daniel from, from World War II Solitaire Board Games holding up the, the research track in 20th Air Force and saying – you know, it's basically a piece of paper with some numbers on it. And, and you know, it's a, a little bit more than that, but he was, he was right. Of course, the new research track is, a, is beautiful and, and, and colorful and, and immersive. So, you know, it's, it was, it was really, the feedback was mostly from players. And again, mostly from players who love the games. I think if, if someone didn't love the game, they didn't really care if the artwork wasn't very good, but we, right. we got so much feedback of, I just love this game. If you guys, it'd be great if you could take this artwork to the next generation. That's cool. Well, speaking of next generation, what's up next? I know you probably don't want to totally uh, reveal what your next projects are, but what are you guys thinking about? What are y'all looking at uh, over at Fortress Games for the next wave of of, uh, of things that I will have on my shelf for two years and not play? Now, <laughs> I'm going to fix that. <laughs> well, I, I, that's awesome. I, I, I know you will. Um, and, and as you recall, as you recall, I, I you were the first one to find out when we were releasing Save Afghanistan, Save South Vietnam. As I as I promised you, and uh, and I'll make the same promise now. We we do have two more games um, coming out. Uh, I, I, I don't know when they'll be ready. One game is essentially ready now. I, we could probably finish up the, the artwork and, and, and finish up the, um, the rules reviews and things like that. Honestly, in a month, it's, it's, it's done. And it's, nice. uh, and it's, it is, I, I hate saying this because obviously I'm the designer. When I, if I'm going to sit here and say it's great, <laughs> nobody should, You're not nobody say, should pay this is the worst that. game I've ever <laughs> say, made and we're about to go to Kickstarter. Please support us. <laughs> I'm, I, but I have to admit, I'm super excited about this one getting out. It's a topic that everybody loves. And, uh, but I think a very different uh, angle on it. And then the okay, second good. game is, um, is, is probably, we just made a big breakthrough. I would have said, if you'd asked me two weeks ago where it was, I would have said it's 10% of the way there, but I'd say it's 40% of the way there because we made a, a big breakthrough on things that were holding us back that we couldn't figure out. How do we get through this issue? This, our solutions aren't making sense. All of a sudden, you know, you have that uh, that eureka moment and we, we had a big breakthrough. So that thing is making massive progress now. So I'm not, I, you know, I, I think it'll be this year, but um, it might, 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 might go into next year because, because the second game needs, you know, needs, is going to need all the artwork and things like that. But, uh, but we got, we've, we definitely have two more games that will be coming out, um, in, in the, in the not, not too, too distant future. <laughs> Super happy to hear about that. Uh, yeah. And, and I know that's, it's always one of those things where you, you probably feel like you beat your head against the wall until, uh, either somebody gives in or you figure out what the right mechanic is and, and better ways to do things. But that's also half the fun of, of game design and experimenting with things and seeing what actually kind of molds together to, to build the theme into the feel of a game. Yeah, you're, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, it, the process is fun. Don't get me wrong. It's fun. But we, we, we kept saying on the first game, we, everybody, everybody's in, in a consensus. We are there. That is, that game is, is, is beautiful. <laughs> the second game, we were, we were, we were never anywhere close to that. We're like this, this, this concept is a great concept, but the mechanic we're using doesn't work, or you know, um, or or the, this this the the results we're getting are beautiful, but the amount of work and bookkeeping doesn't make any sense. And 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 at Fortress Games, we're generally opposed to bookkeeping as a yeah. as a part of the game. We just as as well, 
you haven't taken them off your shelves yet. But for those exactly. of you in the that's audience what, who have, That's what you who, said two years ago. <laughs> right. For those of you in the audience who played them, you know that. We are not a our games are not about bookkeeping. They're about play and 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 being able to, to go from one turn to the next pretty rapidly. And and um, we were running into problems with that on the second game. But we we like I said, we had a fantastic Eureka moment and I feel I feel like we're gonna the progress is gonna fly now. Well let's talk business for a moment. So the nice thing is when that you are not like some Kickstarters that are taking years to deliver. Uh, you guys are, are committed to having a finished product before you get out there and not using it as a, as a prospective way to, to generate income. So has that been a constraint on either the, the redesign, the second edition for 8th and 20th, uh, or for any of these other projects? Have you, have you been getting antsy uh, in either case? Or in, in every case, did it always work out well that everything kind of synced up between when design work was done and when you kind of had your next Kickstarter uh, slot open? Yeah, we, um, we, we, we had to – so as you know, our first two Kickstarters, we actually tried to – and almost hit it – tried to actually be able to deliver games the day the Kickstarter ended. Uh, right, and that was a tall it, order, and I, and I got to say, I was still impressed with the timelines. You, you did yeah, we got we came it, close, so. but it's it's tough. We got it to the printer and all that, all that well before the end of the Kickstarter. But um, then you're at the mercy of vendors, and and I I, I wouldn't right. say anything negative about our print partners. They are awesome. We have two ma- main print partners. And they are absolutely awesome, but they they go as fast as they can. They need to make sure things are right too. But we 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 got things out very fast uh, within a few weeks of both of those Kickstarters ending. This one's a little bit different because. Um, we weren't quite quite done with the redesign when we were running out of out of games. Right. So we were, you know, Eighth Air Force and Twentieth Air Force have been very popular. We we did a big big print after we embarrassingly got sold out right after our Kickstarter in 2021. So we did a big print, but you know, hap- happily. And, and, and sadly, I guess it was sold out almost. It was getting down to the wire. So we said, we either have to go send this to, for another print or we have to launch the Kickstarter. So we had, so we launched Kickstarter a little bit earlier than we would have. I like, I like personally being able to say the Kickstarter ends on, you know, March 30th, let's say. The deliveries start April 1st if, if you've completed your survey and nice. we're going to have the, the games in-house. This won't be the case this time. We've, we've told everybody on Kickstarter we expect to ship in May, and, um, and I do expect to ship in May. Um, I'm, I'm in contact with our printer all the time, and we're, we're, we're close to finishing things. Um, uh, a lot of it is finished, but we're probably you know a few weeks away from getting it to the printer, and then they need time. So I, I think – you know, I, knock on wood, we're, we 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 should be able to meet that May deadline without much difficulty, given where we are in in getting things done. But I'm I'm always disappointed that we we aren't delivering the day after the Kickstarter ends. Again, <laughs> it's a nice problem to have that you just ran out of inventory, so you had to make a choice of either going for another print or doing the doing the second edition a little bit sooner than you wanted to. So, right. um, good problem to have. But but uh, but I I think most the feedback we've gotten is most people are happy with a May. May delivery. It's it's yeah. better than. I mean, I, I I supported a Kickstarter recently um, of a game that looks really really interesting. Not a strategy game. It's a family game. But I know my 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 family and friends are gonna we're gonna love it. But that game is going to be delivered about fourteen months after the Kickstarter ended, yeah. and that's fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'll, I'll I'll take it. It looks like the game's worth the wait. But I, I that's not how I want to do Kickstarters. 
Absolutely. And, and it's just frustrating for me as a backer sometimes because I'll, I'll find out how much I've forgotten that I backed. I'll be like, oh, <laughs> right, yeah, I've been right. waiting for that for a year. Where is that game? Uh, or, or is they all end up aligning at the same time? And so like three games show up at once <laughs> on my on my desk. But uh, it's it's one of the it's commendable, I guess I should say. It's one of the things that I really like about y'all's model that you really try to deliver so quickly after Kickstarter. You're not just taking it as developmental cash infusion. Um, you know, you're, you're definitely have a plan, have uh, coordinated with the vendors, and then you're always at the mercy of whatever, you know, paper or ink or whatever is the, uh, is the thing that runs out in the, in the supply chain shortage. So yeah, we, yeah, we're, we all try to be understanding of that. We're not. Yeah, exactly. We're, I, I appreciate that. We're not, we're not delivering in May because we're waiting for the money from the uh, Kickstarter. We will have paid all the bills to print everything and get everything done before the Kickstarter money ever comes to us. So exactly. we're not waiting on a dime from Kickstarter. We, we, we are going to move this thing as fast as we can. We just, we, there's just no way to get it done by the, by the, by the time the Kickstarter ends. But May, you know, like I said, May, most people have been happy with May, and I think we're going to meet it. That, that'll be good. So let's, let's talk numbers here. So uh, right now we're basically a week in, and looking at your reprint, we are, let me pull up the latest numbers, 10,997 uh, with, with 93 backers. So a weekend, you've already beat the total number from last time. Uh, so that's obviously good. Uh, you've got a couple teasers, as I'll say, out there for us, either previous backers or uh, previous uh, purchasers of the game. So uh, what is it? $35 for a Kickstarter, previous Kickstarter backer, and I think 49 for a single copy for previous purchasers. Um, that's, that's super cool. I, I actually like that. I'm like, okay, I don't feel so guilty now. I can order a second edition that will not sit on my shelf. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, I, it's nice to see that you're, you're giving some credence to people who have the previous versions and saying, look, I know I'm not trying to sell you a whole new game at, at, you know, full MSRP. Um, but, uh, but please back this and please, you know, help deliver this to everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I consider our original Kickstarters, I consider, you know, I don't want to overstate it, but that, that, that is like family to me. I mean, those people <laughs> came through for us. We were nothing. And we were, you know, no one had, we, we, no one had a, a, a reference on who we were or what we were yep. going to do. Yep. And those folks who backed us, you know, I, I, we're, we're, we're selling that product at our cost. Um, and when shipping and everything else is considered, we're probably going to lose a little bit on, on, on the money, on the, on the games we're sending to our original Kickstarter supporters. But boy, am I happy to do it. I mean, those people oh, yeah. launched this company and, and, and uh, it, it thrills me uh, to be able to do that. Same thing with those who have bought the game subsequently through Amazon. You know, our website links to our Amazon site. We sell it through Amazon because it's Amazon's easy for us because it, we don't have to worry about the taxes and things like that. We can concentrate on building games. Exactly. Uh, eventually, I suppose someday we'll take that in-house, but I really do like, like the ease of doing business that way. Um, but um, for those who have supported us that way as well, uh, we want to, we want to, they're getting massive discounts. So uh, yeah, we want to support our original supporters. Like I said, I, I think, you know, the products that Fortress Games will put out at this point and in the future are going to be superior and highly professional in terms of appearance um, and content. You know, I think the content, I'm very proud of the content of 8th and 20th in their original versions. Not that proud of, of, of the appearance now that we know what the state of the art is and we've been immersed <laughs> into it. So I want to make, I want to make that right. good to the folks who, who, who supported us. I want to make, make that good. And, and well, the, the deals for the games are 
are, are if you haven't looked at it, anybody who's who, who's interested in the game and was an original supporter, you got to look at the deals online because they are you're, you get those. I think the two games, if you buy the two games and your original Kickstarter supporter, um, fifty fifty nine dollars, fifty nine dollars for both games. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I can't even get any, anything off Amazon for that cheap these days. So, right, yeah, right. No, it's it's a good deal. Um, and and I laugh because you know, looking at, over at my at my uh, shelves, there are plenty of games I have multiple editions of, and and it's it's not anything new because of Kickstarter or, or anything else. It's just it's my acquisition that I can sit there and I can look at a couple games that are you know second and third and, and follow on editions. Um, so I. I think that's. I think you'll have a lot of uh, success there, uh, as a lot of people return and pick up the second edition to see what the difference is, especially because you're offering such good incentives. Um, and it kind of like when I look down at Air War and some of the other ones, it's it's fun to see how things have evolved and to be able to break out a first edition of the game and then break out a second edition and see counter arts improved and things like that. So, right, right, yeah, it's a it's a and it's a labor labor of love over here. I mean, we are just having a, a great time making these games. You know, as, as well, that's good, as good to be. hear because there, there's a lot of people that get caught up in the rat race of the game industry and it ceases to be fun. Uh, and I th- and I think a lot of us can point to companies and, and people that we know uh, where that has started to wear on them. Uh, so it's not it's not that they're enjoying being a part of the gaming community and producing cool new content. They're kind of out there just trying to pay the bills and trying to trying to go through the, the all the motions of having a business. So I'm glad you guys are still having fun. <laughs> right. Right. Very much so. Absolutely. Well, Steve, anything uh, else you wanted to ask Bob while we've got him as a as a captive audience on the podcast? Uh, the th- the two things I just kind of made some notes as we were talking as stuff that stuck out to me. Uh, I really think you know the tactile experience and the look of the game and the thickness of the chits and the board. It's something that uh, if people don't really play games, they don't understand how important that is, right? But when you look at a world of computer simulations, and you can basically simulate anything you want digitally, right? The reason people play games like this is because it is a tactile experience, right? Absolutely. So like seeing the new artwork, seeing that uh, stuff lo- looks really, really awesome. Uh, and the other thing I thought was kind of funny is, you know, the what if scenario always comes up and there's always like those pure historical gamers that are like, no, I don't <laughs> want to play a what if. And I always kind of just personally chuckle at that because I'm like, isn't the entire game a what if? Like, aren't we playing the game because you don't know what the outcome is. Because if you already know the outcome of the game, is there a reason to even play the game? Right. I don't know. So the whole like uh, kind of aversion to what if stuff, I always really don't understand. So it was cool to hear the, about the jet fighters and that kind of stuff. I'm kind of, kind of psyched to see some of those optional rules. Yeah, I think it's, thanks Steve. I think it's a, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I, you know, obviously I've been playing it a ton and, uh, I like, I like those dog fights between, <laughs> between the, the, the German jets and the American, American jets. It's, it's fun. And it, and again, if it was completely to your, to your point, if it was just a complete fantasy and, a, and, and nonsense, I don't know how, how good it is, but, but it really could have, it really could have happened and it, it wouldn't have even required that much. I mean, Hitler's interference in the jet program is, is well known, as I said, to everybody in this, in this audience, but what if he'd been very supportive of a jet fighter program and, 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 
And what if you know Gehring wasn't wasn't stoned in Karen Hall and instead was concentrating <laughs> on what, what if Gehring wasn't an idiot? <laughs> yeah, what, what, you know, the guy what, that was it, always it, playing with model trains too is that that guy? pretty much? <laughs> yeah, what if Gehring wasn't playing with model trains and and was folks? I mean, it really could have it really could have happened. It's, it's not a, a way out there a possibility. It could have happened, and 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 there's a good chance if it had happened that the American response would have been we have to accelerate our jet program. I mean. Right. American, you know, the American commanders of the Eighth Air Force and the strategic commanders back in Washington, um, when, when the Germans introduced jets, they, they were a little spooked by it, but they knew the war was virtually, you know, the war was going to be won, and and the P fifty ones and P forty sevens were superior aircraft that that could stand up for for the duration that was required till the end of the war. But if they were still looking at, you know, if it was still before the D Day invasion and German jets were rising up and fighting. Uh, American American fighters and bombers. Something would have had to have been done. That, yeah, they would they would not have uh, taken that. that yeah, very plus well. the F eighty is just so cool looking. Anytime it can squeeze that thing in a game, you got to go for it, right? <laughs> yeah. It is. Well, well, you're gonna funny. like it then because it's yeah, there. Then, <laughs> yeah, then you like it. I I just laugh because I've had such a love hate relationship with early jet things, and now I'm at the point where I like it again. You know, like uh, you know, late World War II, like Korean era stuff. But I used to absolutely hate that those the look of those airplanes. Um, well, they're very different. Hitting look. my you, retro phase. <laughs> no, I hear you. And if you if you're like me and you grew up when when the F four Phantom was the the yep. main mainstay of the American Air Force, it was such a beautiful, admittedly ungainly, but just a beautiful jet. You know, you look at the like the Bell P fifty nine Era Comet or or the Gloucester Meteor. <laughs> oh, the Meteor. Ugh. Yeah, the Meteor is yeah. not an attractive plane, but it's it's pretty cool in the game though. So. But I, but I, I agree with you. You know, comparing comparing a modern fighter or the or those or the beautiful Phantom jets to the original Saber. Well, Saber was a good looking plane, but the original like World War II jets, they were very oh, yeah. di- a very different look. Absolutely. Well, Bob, anything you want to say in closing? Any uh, other topics or things we need to cover before we wrap this up? No, I think you. Uh, I think I, I think we covered it all, and I I want to. I, I just want to thank you and Steve for for having me on and and, and giving me a chance to, to to talk about what we're trying to do for our for our existing customers who who we 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 value tremendously, and to to your future customers who I hope take an interest. Absolutely, and so it's still live on Kickstarter, so you can still find it out there for Eighth Air Force, Twentieth Air Force. And that'll be running for a couple more weeks uh, after this podcast gets released. Uh, and how does everyone find you on the internet for Fortress Games? You can find Fortress Games at www.fortressgamesusa.com. And, uh, and, the, and the Kickstarter, uh, just go to Kickstarter and look up 8 with the number 8th. 8th Air Force or and, and 20th Air Force with the number and uh, you'll you'll find it and we're, we got a we got about a, uh, it's running till um, I should have that date right off the tip of my tongue shouldn't I but I <laughs> I don't but it's uh it's running for uh, till till late 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 March okay outstanding so so quite a while to, to go on that well, thanks. I really appreciate it, Bob. And I would have some witty uh, closing here, but Steve continues to fail me and not write any witty closings for me. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for joining us. I would like to say to our podcast listeners, thank you uh, for listening and supporting the podcast. As always, please give us your feedback. Go out there, like, support the podcast. Uh, and Pat from Mariner Games will shame me if I don't put a shameless plug in there and say, go to Mariner Games, Mariner.games. And check out uh, his new game uh, that is is 
slowly making its way out into the world. So um, basically, Star Force Commander is a ship combat game. Go take a look at it. Uh, there's downloadable pr- uh, print and play versions. There's uh, some sample versions out there for free. Uh, take a look at it and give us your feedback on that because Pat's really enjoyed bringing that game uh, into production and bringing that out to the world and getting a lot of reviews on that. So please continue to like and uh, share the podcast and we will talk to everyone as they check their six and climb for advantage. That's actually the stupidest outro ever. That's all right. <laughs> it's starting to grow on you. I can tell. God.